Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. You know, there's a lot of preachers around this place, and uh, one of the things that we try really hard not to do is step on each other's toes. But of course, Pastor Harry this weekend, he, uh, he brought up a word that I'm going to use tonight, and I thought, well, okay, oops, where's my first slide? There it is. There we go. Kingdom synergy, doing life together. And the word synergy is an interesting word when we think about it. Um, well, and I do have to tell on myself a little bit. Today I was talking with Pastor Alex, and he said something, and I thought, hmm, I should probably verify what I'm going to say tonight. <laughs> and I looked something up, and I realized I was actually wrong, so I'm, I'm coming clean. Uh, the word synergy itself is not in the Word of God, but the Greek word that it comes from is, and I didn't think it was, <laughs> so shame on me. So I actually looked it up and went, ooh, I think I need to adjust that a little bit because I was getting ready to say something that wasn't so. The word is a, it's, it's derived from a Greek word, synergos. And synergos, oh my goodness. Help me out there, guys. It ain't working. There we go. Synergos is a derivative of two words. The word sun or sun means together, and ergon or ergos means to work. So it has the connotation of working together. So I thought about that, and I thought, you know, I thought that's what a symbiotic relationship was, symbiosis. We may have heard that. It's kind of a biology term, and it talks about symbiosis is two organisms, two or more, coming together with a mutual benefit. Okay, so how many of you remember the movie Finding Nemo? Okay, clownfish live in anemones. Anemones have a um, sting to them that clownfish are not affected by. So clownfish live in anemones, and anemones protect them from their enemy, and clownfish are very territorial about their homes, so they protect anemones as their home from those that want to eat them. So there is a mutually beneficial relationship going on. That is symbiosis or symbiotic relationship. Synergy is very different, and I've always kind of thought of the two things as the, of the, as the same, but actually synergy cannot be determined by the sum of its parts. In other words, the sum of the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So with synergy, one plus one does not equal two. It equals an exponentially bigger number that we can't even comprehend, especially when we're talking about kin kingdom synergy. And so when we're talking about the kingdom of God, church, we get so much more than what we put into it. Thank God, because my feeble attempts are often just that, very feeble. And they don't have a whole lot to offer. And then there's some days where I look and I think, God, do I really make a difference? Do you ever ask that of yourself? God, do I make a difference? Well, I can tell you by myself, not that much. But when I come together with the body of Christ, my effect grows exponentially. That is kingdom synergy. We cannot dream what God will do through us. We just can't. And so I was trying to think of an illustration that would kind of demonstrate 
in a, in a way, and it, it's kind of a it's, it's a, it's a phrase we've heard a lot, but it really does kind of capture kingdom synergy. You can look at an apple, you can cut it open, you can count the seeds. Okay, I counted the number of seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. Okay, that is kingdom synergy. It's very simple illustrations, and it's difficult to explain because we really don't understand it, but that's a simple way. Think about how many apples are in a seed. We can't even know. That is the way it is with God's synergy. That, it is, that is the way it is with God's kingdom. <clears throat> in Isaiah... <laughs> you guys are going to have to run it because it ain't happening. Nobody's back there. All right, well, I can cope. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay? Yes, amen. Thank God. Because sometimes my thoughts are not very high. And thank God that his are much higher than mine and his ways are much better than mine. Because if I was God, we'd have a problem. Some examples in the word of God of kingdom synergy. In Genesis 22, God told Abraham he would multiply his seed like the stars of heaven and the grains of sand on the seashore. Okay, have you ever been to the beach? Think about the sand. Start counting those grains. How long is that going to take you? You're not going to get it done. It's not going to happen. Well, that's kingdom synergy. Then in Genesis 26, God tells Isaac, Abraham's son, the same thing, that he is going to bless him the way he blessed Abraham, his father. And then in Hebrews 6, God reminds his people of the promise to Abraham and that it is for us. Okay, so I challenge those of you that love Ancestry.com, try plugging that in. Okay, it ain't happening. We cannot measure it. We cannot track it. That is kingdom synergy. It is, it's mind-blowing and beyond our comprehension. In Acts chapters 9 and 12, it describes how the church multiplied and increased. Daily people were being added that were being saved. And then in Matthew 15, a classic example of Jesus multiplying loaves and fish. He took something that was a little guy's lunch and he made it enough, it was enough to feed one, and he made it enough to feed multiple thousands. That is kingdom synergy. That is what we can count on from our God. It is far beyond our comprehension, far beyond our ability, and, and we just, we don't know, we can't know it. And so we have to trust God, that he is the God of kingdom synergy, and we just get to ride the wave. Okay, so how do we tap into kingdom synergy, okay? Pretty simple. We do things God's way. Amen. God says certain things in his word about how we are to function and how we are to act. And we do that, and that's how we tap into kingdom synergy. So how do we do life together? You know, it's, it's a phrase. It's the theme of our year. And we look at it and we go, yeah, I'm doing life together. I'm in church. Well, actually, the way we do kingdom synergy is we do life together. That is the key word, is together. Pastor Harry has oftentimes said, together we can do what we can never do alone. That is kingdom synergy, okay? It is so much more than we can imagine. 
I was thinking about, I'm, I'm not very strong, and so I might only be able to lift maybe 10 pounds. I don't know, that might be a little underestimated, but I can tell you I can only probably comfortably lift about 10 pounds. And you may be able to lift 65 or more. So we think between us we can lift 75. Actually, no. It's proven scientifically that two people can lift more than the sum of the whole. It, it, the two come together, and for whatever reason, we don't fully understand, but we can lift more than we could individually separated from one another. Again, it's another way that God demonstrates kingdom syn sy uh, synergy to us. So in John 15, 4 through 5, um, there's a passage here. Kingdom synergy, there's three different uh, vital components to kingdom synergy. One is complete dependence on God. We have to acknowledge that we depend on God. Amen. Remain in me and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. <clears throat> Kingdom synergy. When we are separated from God, when we are not acknowledging our dependence on him and who he is in our lives, then we are missing out on the major component of kingdom synergy. Because if we think we can do it all ourselves, well, guess what? Try that. I did it for many, many years before I acknowledged my dependency on the Lord. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it demonstrates what happens if anyone is in Christ. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you remember pre-salvation trying, trying desperately to, to be something different? You know, it's, it's that time of year and New Year's resolutions. And I read several things on Facebook. Some friends posted and said, my New Year's resolution is to write 2019 instead of 2018. <laughs> you got to appreciate the humor because how many of us have tried to do something new and January 2nd rolled around? It's like, yeah, forget it. I ain't going to do that. I mean, okay, so thank God that when we become a Christian, it's not about us. It's about him and his work. He equips us, he empowers us, and he never leaves us. So he doesn't say, okay, here's the Holy Ghost, uh, make it work, have a time, see ya. He doesn't do that. He sends the Holy Spirit to stay with us and to help us day in and day out to be the people God has made us to be. What an incredible privilege it is to partner with the Holy Spirit in the work of what's going on in us. That is an incredible privilege. But lest we forget, it truly isn't about us and our ability. So how do we do it? We do it with the partnering of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Word of God. So the second component of kingdom synergy is independence. Okay, remember our first one is dependence on God. Our second one is independence through our choices and our responsibility. In other words, we grow up and we understand that the choices that I make will affect the outcome of my life. The choices I make determine the path that I go down. That is part of the maturing process of being a Christian. Now we all know about the maturing process of our children. Some of our children matured better than others. 
Some of them are still working on it desperately and, and we're believing God for them. But we do know that in order to be a responsible adult, we have to take responsibility for our actions. And society is full of adults that don't take responsibility for their actions and they blame everybody else. That's pretty disgusting. Those of us that try really hard to be responsible for our decisions find that type of behavior disgusting. Because it's like, you've gotta be kidding me. You did thus and so. Do you understand? I've said it in counseling many times. Okay, you did this, yes. And then you did this, yes. And now you're dealing with this. Yeah, but she did. And it's like, no, 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 yeah, but no. You made that choice and you made that choice and it led you to this consequence. Own it, own it. And that's part of the maturing process. So it is really important, Romans 6, 12 and 14. Here's a commandment. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. Thank God, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Think about that, church. The freedom of God's grace, who he is in us and who he makes us because of his grace. And we get to live in that freedom, knowing that it isn't about our performance, that yes, we do have responsibility, but, but he makes up the difference. Thank God. I thank God on a regular basis when I think about and I'm reminded of my inadequacies and the things that I can't do on my own. And I say, God, help me. Help me be the person that you've called me to be. In and of myself, I can't do it. I'm fully dependent on you. I take responsibility for my actions, Lord. Okay, yeah, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. But now I'm asking you to help me. Help me bear the fruit of what I've done and how many times, I can't tell you, church, how many times I've prayed for crop failure. Okay, I planted those seeds, Lord, but I'm asking you to kill that crop. <laughs> help a sister out, man. Help me out. How many times, I can't tell you how many times I prayed that prayer. God, I believe in you for crop failure. I know that sowing and reaping is a law, but, but sometimes natural disasters happen. Let it be an act of God. <laughs> Kill that crop before it bears fruit in Jesus' name. And thank God there have been many times that he has done just that. Oh, his grace is so awesome. That's called grace and mercy, church. Amen. Crop failure in Jesus' name. Grace and mercy. In Joshua 24, Joshua challenges God's people to choose who they will serve. He says, you're going to have to make a decision. And I'm telling you, church, we may think that we are just independent and we're our own man or woman and, yeah, I don't need you. Guess what? You are serving someone. You are either serving the enemy or you are serving the living God. And we may not like that, but that's truth. So just like Adam and Eve... All mankind, all the way up to us, and including us, get to make choices. God still gives us the ability to choose. I have had so many people say to me, and I've wrestled with this as I think about one of my biggest challenges in my walk with the Lord is the suffering of innocence. It bothers me so much that innocent 
children, those that are not old enough to make decisions that bring havoc into their lives, are dragged along through adults that drag them through those consequences. And it breaks my heart to read stories of children that have been horribly abused or mistreated or neglected because of the adults in their lives. And unfortunately, we live in a world, fortunately or unfortunately, where we get to make choices. And unfortunately, those choices affect those that it shouldn't. But the reason why I've had people say, why did God just put, why did he just not put that tree in the garden? Because then Adam and Eve would not have had a choice whether to serve him or not. And he continues to give us that choice. In our, in our human minds, we may not be able to fully comprehend why, but God wants us to love him because we want to love him. Not because we have to love him, not because we have to serve him, but because we want to. Amen. Because we love him so much and we get to know him through our dependence on him that we say, God, I choose you. I choose you. In this moment when what I want to do is lash out, and let this person have it. I choose to love like you love. I choose to look at them as someone worthy of you dying on the cross for. And I choose to put a guard over my mouth and not speak those words to that person because it would be ungodly. You know, the whole, the whole movement, what would Jesus do? And it became such a, uh, almost just meaningless. It was just bumper stickers and whatever. But really, think about it. When you're getting ready to do something and you ask yourself, what would Jesus do? I can tell you, I'm going to confess, more often than not, what I was about to do wasn't what, would, what Jesus would do. And so I have to go, ooh, okay, I'm going to have to just get over my snarky self and tame my tongue. I really don't want to because I think they deserve what I'm about to say, but I need to just shut my mouth godly thing to do when you're just not sure what to say. What was it? Um, Thumper? Was it Thumper that says, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all? Don't say it. Just stop. Just stop. By the grace of God, just stop. So the final component of synergy of the three things, dependence on God, independence through our choices and taking responsibility, the maturing process. The third part is interdependence with each other. And I think personally that's the hardest one because we are dealing with other imperfect beings that drive us crazy. <laughs> yes, yes, I've been meaning to talk to you about that, Pastor Harry, <laughs> Pastor Howie. Been meaning to have a discussion with you about that. But seriously, interdependence. And you know, it's the way God made it. And sometimes I will be honest again, I'm telling on myself, I don't like it very much. I want to go in a hole and bury myself and tell all y'all, leave me alone. I don't get to do that. You don't get to do that. God made us interdependent. In Romans 12, 4 and 5, it says, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Amen. Some days that's an awesome thought, and lots of days it's not. If we're honest, come on, if we're honest. And then 1 Corinthians 12, 12, the human body has many parts, 
but the many parts make up one whole body, so it is with the body of Christ. So think about the human body. <clears throat> Some of us are mouths. And some of us are ears. And some of us are noses. And some of us are fingers. But we have to work together as one. And there are times that the mouth is driving us crazy. And the ears are saying, I can't hear because you won't shut up. <laughs> Think about it, okay? That's a human body. And when the human body is working and functioning and flowing together in unity, it's a wonderful thing. But when your body fights you in any way, oh my gosh, how annoying can that be? So I was thinking, okay, Lord, I always like, I've pointed out the obvious, but I always like to say, okay, how do we do that? Here's our theme, doing life together, kingdom synergy wow, that's like an exponential thing and it's beyond what we can comprehend. And that's all great word. But where the rubber meets the road, how do we do that? How do we actually do life together without killing each other? How do we do that? How do I walk into a room and have someone question what I'm saying and not get mad? How do I respectfully and with honor discuss something even when I disagree with someone? How do I do that, Lord? How do I function and honor you and honor others as those that you died for? And I'm telling you, there's many times in my life I have to remind myself that the person that I'm talking to is somebody Jesus died for. And how dare I treat them with dishonor? That is not my move to make, church. It's, I don't have the right to do that. Are there lots of times that I have yes to my shame and the mercy of God? Yes, I have. But I, we need to strive to not do that to one another. Even though we may look at someone, we may strongly disagree. I'm going to use an example that's, that's really alive for me, is there are many believers that love God deeply, that believe that women who preach and teach and that they're in rebellion to God. And I can tell you, all I can say is, it's a fire shut up in my bones. And if the Holy Ghost has a problem with it, he's going to have to shut me up. Because I love doing this. I feel gifted and called to it. But there are believers that really do love the Lord, that think that I'm wrong being up here talking to you tonight. But they love God. They truly do love God. And, and, and some, of the, some of their teachings, I still read some of their teachings because they truly love the Lord and they honor the word of God with their teaching. And I can learn from them. I don't have to always agree with them. They obviously don't agree with me. But that's okay. God is the only one who has all truth. We cannot no one individual can have all truth. I've said this many times, and Jeff kind of, he goes, I don't like the way you put that. But we're all wrong. Okay, we're all wrong. And he goes, well, no, we don't all have the full measure of truth. And okay, I appreciate the diplomatic way of putting that. But what that means is we're all wrong. Okay, you're wrong, I'm wrong. We cannot be fully right about everything because we cannot know God that well this side of eternity, and then we'll spend eternity getting to know him well. But in the meantime, we're here getting to know him. And so what we do is we have the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And those are the two things that we use the most to fully understand and get to know God better. That's how we do it, is 
the word of God through the teaching of the Holy Spirit and the direction. And we do our level best to honor God with all that we say and do. That is the maturing process. God, I take responsibility for my choices. I own my words, Lord. Help them to always be seasoned with grace. Help the words that I speak to be truth. Help me, Lord. Help me. You know, I was, uh, <laughs> I was thinking about this word synergy, and here's what I was going to tell. Here's what I was going to tell on myself. The word synergy itself is not in the Bible, but the synergos is actually in several places in the Bible. And I was going to say, yeah, the word's not there. And I'm like, no, I didn't know what I was talking about. So thank God Pastor Alex said something to me in conversation that made me go, oh, I should probably look that up. And lo and behold, it's all over the word of God. So Greek, the New Testament being written in Greek, that's where the word is. So I looked it up. And that word or the derivative of it, the concept of working together, is throughout the New Testament, okay? It's used in the gospel several times regarding people coming together to hear Jesus teach, okay? People coming together. There was an exponential thing going on because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was teaching and people were hearing and responding and people were being converted and that is kingdom synergy. In the, uh, God, um, the book of Acts, it's used often regarding the disciples preaching as people came in and listen to their preaching, and we've never heard it like this before. Kingdom synergy. And then finally in the epistles or the letters toward the end of the Bible where Paul and John and Peter are writing letters to the churches all over, um, it's used several times, and it's always used in the connotation of working together, like co-laborers, fellow workers, the church gathering together. And it also, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says we labor together with God. That just takes my breath away to think that God, knowing me, says, I want to work with you. I want to partner with you in this thing that we call the gospel. What an awesome privilege that is, church, to partner together with a living God, to see his word go forth in the earth. Philippians 2, Paul is writing and he calls Epaphroditus his fellow worker. That is a very meaningful thing there. This was someone who was really dear to Paul. We are fellow workers. We are co-laborers together. And in 3 John 1, John refers to Diophanes as one who loved to be first, so won't work together. And I thought, what a word picture that is, that when we're always striving to be first or make sure that our voice is heard or that our position is known or that we make our point, we are not working in kingdom synergy. We are undermining our own selves because we're not working together with God through our dependence, taking responsibility for ourselves and working interdependently with the people of God. That is a hard thing. It is hard to work with people. Think about it. Those of you who work, you know, uh, that is my profession. I'm a pastor. I'm a counselor. I work with people all the time. Sometimes people are tough. For those of you that work in the public, especially if you deal with like the complaints department, holy cow, man, it's all you ever see. Or if I think about like law enforcement, um, they often see human beings at their worst. That must be so taxing on people. That's hard to see people at their worst all the time. That's hard. And so it is tough doing life together. And sometimes we come into church and we are just, not real happy. Today has not been a good day. I don't feel good and I don't want to be nice. Leave me alone. 
get it? Do you get it? I mean, really, if we're to be honest, we don't always want to be with people. And yet God says, I died for them. I want you to treat them with respect. I want you to get over yourself, the maturing process, getting over ourselves and being nice when we don't want to. So here we go. How do we do this? God fits the body together as he desires. I was talking with um, Andy earlier, and one of the things that I often use as an illustration of the maturing process is John 3.16. <clears throat> Before we're saved, we hear John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that if you'll believe in him, you'll have everlasting life. Okay, what a great passage of scripture. And so before we're saved and we hear that and we respond to the message of the gospel, we go, oh my gosh, God loves me so much, even in my state that I'm in, that I, oh my gosh, what a wonderful thing. Okay, that's the first step. Then some time goes on, we're starting to grow up a little bit, and we hear the John 3.16 preached, and we go, oh, God loves the whole world, not just me. That's awesome. Wow. What a revelation, and, and our, our understanding grows. The word of God never changes, but our understanding of it does. So then more time goes on, and we hear it, and we go, huh, that means God so loves everybody. Even that gal I really can't stand. <laughs> he loves her too. Huh, I think I better get over my snarky self, because this isn't about me. There's more of the maturing process, and then eventually, we hear John 3.16, and the Holy Spirit begins to deal with us and say, I want you to tell the world how much I love them. I want you to declare it. I want you to live it, and I want you to be it. Okay, that's the maturing process. When we're new converts, it's all about us. But it can't stay that way, church. It cannot stay that way. It has to grow beyond us. And so we often, that happens through our interdependence with one another. So God fits the body together as he sees fit. So do we just show up? Well, that's a really good start. But no, we do more than just show up. We come together with purpose. Okay, so one of the things that we do practically is we worship. Okay? Awesome, we worship. Does that mean that God is an egomaniac or really insecure and he needs us to tell him how great he is all the time? No. God is fully secure in himself. He does not need anybody to tell him how awesome he is. But he needs us to remind us how awesome he is. That's what the word of God does. That's what worship does. Is It reminds us of how awesome he is. So when we come into a service, especially like at midweek, um, Sunday too, but when we come in at midweek especially, we've been at work all day, we've been dealing with people, we've been dealing with situations, we've been coping, we've been making it happen, and we come in on a Wednesday night, it's like, God, I just need to just relax and hear your voice and sense your presence. And when we worship God, we are releasing the stress of the world, we're maturing, we're coming together, we're, we're expressing our dependence on the Lord, and he is filling us up with hope again because we are reminded that he is a big God and he has this. And we are not doing life alone. Okay? Another way, well, I want to talk about worship for just a minute. I was thinking about this. You know, we have a very diverse congregation, age-wise, um, background-wise, we have a lot of diversity in our church, which is a wonderful thing. It makes us really awesome. But I was thinking about 
how we worship. Some people like to get really, really wild. And some, yes, Mary on the drums, yes. And some people really prefer reverence and quiet worship. Let me tell you, yeah, not Dana, huh? Amen, you go, girl. <laughs> Amen, sister. But you know what? God can take it loud, and God can take it soft, and God can take it wild, and God can take it reverent. He can take it sitting. He can take it standing. He can take it kneeling, and he can take it bouncing around. But we need to be nice. If, if you are in front of somebody that is quietly just declaring the awesomeness of the Lord, don't shout at the back of their head and scare the daylights out of them. <laughs> be nice. And if you like quiet, reserved worship, don't look with disgust at the guy that's bouncing around, just dancing for joy. Be nice. Amen. Prayer. I'm telling you, I missed out. You know, when Kathy Poole first started the intercessory prayer team, and her mom and dad did it for years, and I was always too busy. I was always too busy. No, I don't have time for that. I, I got too much going on. I pray all the time. I don't need to get with a group. Ooh, to my detriment. Oh, my gosh, to my detriment. It is such a privilege to come together with our intercessory prayer team. We are small, but we are mighty. And I'm telling you what, when we come together in prayer, there is a synergy that I, I can't even put into words. And the awesome privilege that it is to link. I love the kingdom synergy that happens in that group. It is so amazing. We tear down strongholds together. I'm going to tell on Nate Hopkins, I didn't get a chance to ask you if I could, but... He, he said the word publicly. He was, during prayer, he said that God spoke to him about how when our brain, our head, tells our hands to do something, it's almost automatic. It, it's, it's our body functioning and flowing well. Well, Jesus is our head. God is our head. Amen. And when our head tells us to do something, we should respond the way our hands do to our brain. We should immediately, without question, do what it is that our head is telling us to do. What a great example of what obeying God looks like. So another thing that we do, and this is probably the most difficult, we come together and we pray, and it's like, wow, you know, we feel the Spirit of God, we feel His presence, it's awesome. We come together and we worship, we're inviting the presence of God, we're reminding ourselves how awesome He is, it's great, we're experiencing that. But fellowship and support, that's a little tougher. Um, after Jesus' ascension in Luke 24, he tells us that the people of God were continually in the temple. And then in Hebrews 10.25, it tells us not to neglect our meeting together, but to encourage one another. You see, when the church first happened, the, the believers were first Jewish. They were Jewish converts. And so they knew how to do life together really well. Um, it, because it was, it was God's way, and they were God's people. And so it wasn't hard for them to just transfer their love for God, you know, Jehovah, to understanding that Jesus was Messiah, and worship him, and come together, and meet in the temple, and do life together. They, they knew what that looked like. 
But by the time it got to the point where the epistles were being written to all the churches that had grown, by now, even though this is written to the Hebrews, which were Jewish believers, there were lots of Gentiles now. And they actually, in Acts, it records about how they had to meet to decide, okay, what rules do we need to follow and what rules are no longer applied to our lives and how do we do this? How do we do life together? There was a lot of controversy and conflict over what the church should look like. And there were many believers who thought it should still look just like Judaism, except Messiah had come. And then there were those that were like, no way, man, we're, we're free. There's, it shouldn't look anything like Judaism. And so they had to come together and um, figure out, you know, how to do life together. Proverbs 18, 21. Can you put that up there? This is a great scripture about our words. And I love this version, this contemporary English version. Words can bring death or life. Talk too much and you will eat everything you say. <laughs> I love the way that scripture is put. It's, this is the passage that talks about the power of life and death are in the tongue. Well, that's what, I just love that. You're going to eat whatever you say. Oh, God forbid. Crop failure, crop failure. Help me, Lord. Help me. Mercy, mercy. So again, be nice. Kindergarten. Remember everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten? I, I made some note of some things. Share. Hmm. Be kind. Hold hands. Take turns. Give hugs. Take naps. Well... <laughs> I don't know how necessary for, oh, well, then again, for some of you, yeah, take naps because that's the only way you can know how to be nice. So, yes, please take a nap. If that makes you nice, then please take a nap. We, we want you to do that. So, doing life together requires maturity because there are things in our life that only get worked out through relationship with others. You know, I thought about it. It's like, God, how come you don't just, like, we get saved and boom, you take us to heaven. Because after all, isn't it about making heaven home? Yes. But it isn't just about you making heaven home. It's about everybody making heaven home. And so when we're doing life together and we're working things out in ourselves and we're becoming a unified body, the world looks at us and says, I want that. Okay, there you go. That's what it boils down to. And how many times have we not looked like something the world wants? God forbid. We should be something that the world looks at us and hungers for that because they say, my gosh, that is such an incredible thing that you have. I want it. That's what the world should say. We should be living testimonies of the glory and grace of God. God help us. Do you remember the lesson on the aspen trees that I taught, I don't know how long ago? Aspen trees are actually one organism, that their root system, they share the same roots. It looks like hundreds of trees, but it's actually one organism. And that scientifically, it is one organism. That is who we are, church. We are the body of Christ. We're linked together by common life. And when we come together and we intertwine and we do life together, we are bringing glory to God. Aspen trees are the first things to grow back after a fire decimates a forest. You know why? Because they don't die. Everything else dies. A fire kills it. 
but aspen trees, because they live below the surface and they're intertwined and linked together, even though the, what's above the soil dies, what's below the soil is still vibrantly alive. That is what we are called to be. We are called to be, have the synergy of the kingdom as we link together and honor him with our lives. And we become something that the world envies and desires because we give such glory to God. And it is such a glorious thing. And there is such an amazing synergy to our lives that God says, oh, that the world says, I want that. I want what you have. In Philippians 2, verse 2, Paul is writing to the Philippians, and I'm telling you this, I love the book of Philippians. There's so much to it. One of these days I'll have to teach again on the, uh, it was the treasure hunt that I taught, and, and there's such incredible, the word of God is full of incredible truth, but I have a specific love for Philippians because of the things that I learned from it. But one of the things Paul says is, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That is the church. That is what we are called to be. And what is that one purpose? It's the Great Commission. The Great Co-Mission. As we partner together to fulfill the desire and the purpose of God in the earth. How do we do that? By getting snarky and nasty with one another and fighting because we didn't get our way and looking at someone that we don't like the way they worship or, yeah, I'm not going to do, I don't really like her and blah, 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 blah. No, dear God, no. Help us, Lord, not to do that. It doesn't mean we have to be bosom buddies and fast friends with every person on the planet, but it does mean that we need to treat everybody as somebody that Jesus died for. My gosh, if Jesus finds them worthy to die for, I think I could be nice. God, help us that we would be nice to one another. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Church, this is what it boils down to. It's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to be. It's what we're called to look like. God, that the most important thing to us should be the most important thing to God. And I probably said that. You understand what I'm saying? Out, we should want what God wants. Okay? Not what we want, but what he wants. And that's part of the maturing. But God wants people to come to him and be made disciples and to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he wants them taught all the things that God commands of us so that they too can be a part of the maturing process as they come in and become a part of the body. And we nurture them and we love them. And we love them through their imperfections and their challenges. And, you know, new converts, man, they can be really messy. But they are so awesome because they come in with vibrant, exciting life. They're so thrilled about what God's doing in their lives. And they bring a newness and a freshness to a congregation. Yeah. 
God forbid that we become st a stale old congregation. We should be constantly growing and changing and being challenged and bringing people in and seeing them one for the gospel of Christ and then allowing them to become who God has called them to be and, and celebrating their uniqueness instead of despising it and loving them for who they are, not who we expect them to be or who we think they should be, but loving them for who God has made them to be and allowing them to be that and enjoying that. And I can tell you, there are a lot of things that I'm not, but thank God there are those of you that are those things because I can't be it all and, and I don't wanna be it all. That would be exhausting. Well, I need to go take a nap just thinking about it. I mean, really. But there's so many of you that have giftings that I don't have. And so some of us are mouthpieces and some of us are ears and some of us are noses and we're just different. But those body parts are all vital to the functioning of the word of God, the body. The body. And so he promises that he's with us to the end of the age. And we should treat people the way Jesus would treat them. And that's not always easy, and I know that it's not. But we do that through his empowerment, through the Holy Spirit, and through the maturing process by acknowledging full dependence on God, acknowledging our independence and our responsibility for ourselves, and acknowledging our interdependence with one another. That's the hardest part, but I challenge you, church, this year, doing life together, we are going to have to work really hard, but it will be worth the fruit that it produces. What an incredible privilege it is to link arms together to be the body of Christ. And to, as Pastor Harry has said, we exist for those that are not yet a part of us. Amen. As people come in, we don't look at them like, um, excuse me, you're in my seat. <laughs> it has happened, believe me. It's like, I will sit on the floor if I have to. If the place fills with new converts, sit on the floor. It's going to be okay. We'll survive. We'll help you get up, okay? I may need help getting up, but it's all right. We'll help you get up. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word tonight. And God, I really do pray for us as a congregation and us as individuals. God, that you, you have already empowered us. You've already equipped us. You've made it where we can pull this off. And so, God, help us to mature. Help us to acknowledge our dependence on you. Help us to acknowledge our independence and personal responsibility for our actions and our behavior. And, God, help us even more so to acknowledge our interdependence on one another. God, we need each other. You made it that way. And help us, Lord, to love well the way you love with unconditional acceptance. And, Lord, when we're feeling snarky, Help us to get over ourselves and just to love the way you love and to see everybody that we encounter as somebody that you died for. Help us, God, to ever be mindful of that. And tonight, while our heads are still bowed, I just want to give a moment. If there's somebody in the room that does not know Jesus as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity. If you'll put your hand up, there are some that would like to pray with you. Hallelujah. All right, so we'll assume that everyone in here is a believer. All of us at different levels, you can look up different levels of maturity. But hopefully after tonight, we're going to work on that, right? Amen. Amen. Thanks, church. I love you. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.